Hello, it's Thursday 9th of June. I'm Hannah Pearson. Halfway through the year, Gary Bowman and I thought it was time to revisit our 22 positive changes for 2022, which we set out at the start of the year, to assess whether any of them, or none of them, have come to pass. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So, Hannah, I liked your intro there, any of them or none of them. Well, we've almost reached the end of the first half of the year, and we're going to take a look back at our travel wish wish list show, which we did in January. Hannah and I put together a list of 22 positive wishes that we had for this year, this recovery year. Although we've seen some major developments for tourism in the region, uh, and we've actually got international travel back in, in all countries of our region now, are we any closer to seeing some of our travel wishes come true? So, Hannah, let's let's go through our list that we that we published in January. What was number one? Yeah, I mean, number one is is having a separate border control from tourism management, and I think this was one of your picks back in January, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of my rants. I think it was basically um, how can we actually move into a, a, a recovery environment where honestly the governments just stand back. Uh, you know they. They reopen the borders, they remove the testing and the quarantine and all those requirements and stand back and let the private sector uh, manage the recovery, which is pretty much what happens in Europe. And you can see in the moment at Europe, you know, the travel boom is really happening there right now. It's causing some issues. There are some bottlenecks. Um, unfortunately, I would say this one hasn't come true yet. Hannah, the, the state control over tourism is very, very strong. Um, throughout our region and it looks like it's not going to be relinquished what, what do you think yeah exactly I, I i think you're on the money there i mean like like you were you were saying in our podcast last week um this is not the case where it it is in europe and you were saying i think that was one of the the major differences at least in feeling between tourism in europe and and what's happening here in southeast asia but certainly it that has not come to pass we are not seeing separate border control from from tourism they are both very much interlinked and very much under the control of the governments right now, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. And I think, you know, the, the, the primary example of that is still Thailand. You know, Thailand was the first to open, has been probably the, the boldest in terms of its opening, but it still can't get rid of that bureaucratic Thailand pass uh, application process. You know, having to upload all your, all your documents and that kind of thing. Everybody wants it to go. You kind of get the feeling that the government actually wants it to go to try and just change this perception that it is a little bit difficult still to get into Thailand. But yeah, it, it, that's that's just rolling on and on as these things do. And when, when they get to to the high level, they they get discussed and discussed, and the media discusses them even more. But it, it just simply has got to go. You know, the, the whole region now is pretty much reopened. Let's just get rid of some of these difficult processes that that really, I think, for longer haul travelers mostly, it just seems that it's a little bit more difficult than it actually is now to come and travel in Southeast Asia. Yeah, I would agree with that. So let's move on. And this this was our second wish. And <laughs> I think it won't be a surprise to our listeners, will it? Which was no target setting. Um, and we said, unless it is a rational target setting and can be considered achievable. Well, I don't think we have uh, escaped from target setting this year, have we? I think if anything, I'm seeing more targets now that tourism is reopening. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. More targets and more revisions of targets. I think it was this week. You know, I think you said a couple of weeks ago that Malaysia's target was for 2 million travelers this year, which seemed pretty low. I think that target was set earlier in the year before the reopening actually happened. And you know, the numbers are, are improving into Malaysia at the moment. I think that's been revised this week to hopefully 5 million. 
Um, but you know, again, I think the problem with target setting as well, Hannah, as we've seen over the past two years, is that it just comes from various different organizations. It comes from the Ministry of Tourism, the Tourism Board, travel agents or associations, central banks. You know, we get lots of different targets, don't we? And, uh, and you, get, you end up just having to kind of just yeah. sort of pick a median and, and see which one um, is going to be, as you said, the most rational. I think the one thing that we have found, though, Hannah, is that most countries at the moment are setting their targets relatively low. Yeah, I mean, I would say that. But then also when you look at some of the the stats, and I was looking at this this morning, you know, so Thailand, there have been various targets thrown around, and I think the latest one is 8 to 10 million, something like that. Um, but as of April, they are only at, I don't think they're even at 1.5 million. And so you just start adding things up and you say, okay, right. So they've now said we expect something like half a million, I think, to arrive every month until September. And then from October, we expect to have maybe a million um, a month. And you add those numbers up still. And they still fall short <laughs> when you add up what their actual is now plus this targeted. And you're like, well, that's that's still not quite at the the target. Yeah, there, there was a good tweet, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, from Mike Tatarski in Ho Chi Minh City. Hi, Mike, how are you doing? We've spoken to Mike a few times on the show. And, and he was pointing out that in Vietnam, I think the, they're still holding to the target of 5 million tourists this year. But he calculated that that actually would require something like 650,000 visitors per month. I think that was the number extra to what they have right now. And the numbers currently just don't don't suggest that that's going to be possible. So. Yeah, whether it's achievable or see, I think everybody is hoping, aren't they, Hannah, that the last yeah. quarter is going to be uh, where the big numbers come. And, uh, you know, what we're seeing right now is still the early stages. So I guess we have mm-hmm. to be a little bit fair on that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, and many countries only reopened properly um, at the end of Q1, right at the beginning of Q2. So we are still in this, the, the babyhood steps of, of reopening. But, yeah, there's... <laughs> there's rational target setting and then there's just wishful thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's two that we've got wrong so far, <laughs> Hannah. Let's, let's go for number three. And this one is definitely coming true, I think. Um, you, you suggested this one, Hannah, that the word reopening will disappear from our vocabulary. I think we got that one right, didn't we? Yeah, it, we're, we're getting there, aren't we now? So now, technically, I think Southeast Asia um, pretty much has reopened. Therefore, you would hope that this, this reopening word is going to fade eventually from the vocab, unless it's referring back to this was when we reopened. So that would be nice. That would be nice to stop having to track when borders are going to reopen, won't it? Yeah, the phrase of the moment really now is recovery, isn't it? We use it all the time. Um, it's, you know, what, what happens next? How, how do we re- rebuild and, and redevelop uh, both the tourism industry and the demand for travel? And worldwide, well, worldwide, it's very, very different. We're seeing completely different landscapes, as I mentioned, in Europe. And if you're looking at uh, Australia and New Zealand, you know, some of the media reports there at the moment is that the numbers simply aren't what they were expecting, particularly inbound. It is winter there, I guess. But, um, you know, in Southeast Asian countries, it, it looks as though at the moment, as you said, it's still early days. The numbers aren't quite as high as everybody was hoping for. But, you know, let's hope that, that uh, this second half of the year, and particularly in the last quarter, um, starts, to, starts to realign a little bit more. Exactly. So our fourth one that we thought we would zero in on, that was one of our wishes from January, was that outbound travel starts to reappear in a meaningful way. I mean, I I wouldn't say that we are seeing significant volumes of outbound travel, but we are in a much better position than we were in January, aren't we? 
Yeah, I think so. I think I think we pointed out, you know, if we go back a year, it's almost a year actually since the Phuket Sandbox started. I think that was the beginning of July, wasn't it? At that time, we were talking that you know Thailand, amongst other countries, was only really focusing on inbound travel. You know, and this was uh, a little bit difficult for the airlines because you know they want uh, they want to fly full planes in and out, and if you're only really focusing on on inbound travel, that makes it more difficult. Removing these quarantines, making it more easy. I think in Thailand now. Thai uh, travelers don't have to, uh, Thai nationals don't have to apply for the Thailand pass to come back. Uh, and you're starting to see, I mean, I think it was last weekend at, in Bangkok at the main, at my main airport, there was uh, congestion there like we've seen in Europe. So there is a sign that outbound travel is coming back, but it's, it just seems to be fragmented in terms of where people are actually traveling to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's definitely still this, this preference for long haul, but of course it's now being held back by lack of availability for air tickets and also the cost of air tickets as well, which is very high right now. Yeah, it is. Tickets are incredibly high, particularly in longer haul, as you said. And I think also there is this surge and there has been um, since most countries reopened for, for visiting family and friends. You know, I think when we spoke to Tourism Australia a couple of months ago, they had this lovely phrase, travel for love, which I think is a great phrase, you know, reconnecting with people. And there was a great statistic from New Zealand. Uh, I think it was published last week. 61% of visitors to New Zealand since they reopened checked the box on their inbound form that they were visiting family or friends. That was their reason for travel. 61%, that's very, very high. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's kind of an indicator, I think, of what's happening right now. Yeah, and you're, you're right. You know, when um, the Philippine Airlines at a conference last week, I think were also similarly saying that their long-haul routes are being supported by this, this VFR segment. Um, particularly, you know, there's, there's so much uh, Filipino diaspora around, particularly North America. Um, so a lot of that is, yeah, travel for love and, and reconnection, which is great, but it's perhaps not the outbound travel that we are used to, right, in the region. Of course, there's always a certain amount of VFR outbound travel, but we still need to see that outbound travel both for leisure and for, for, for mice, for business travel coming back too. Yeah, absolutely, 100% agree. So let's move on to our next one, Hannah. Um, and this is intra-ASEAN travel without quarantines. We got that one right, didn't we? Yeah, we're there. We're there. I mean, uh, you, you need a little asterisk and terms and conditions apply. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much so long as you're fully vaccinated, you can now travel anywhere within ASEAN without having to quarantine. And that's a massive step forward, right? We really have to recognize what a big step forward that is compared to January. Yeah, you make an excellent point there, as long as you're fully vaccinated, because obviously that does preclude a lot of people from traveling at the moment. And Shukor Yusof last week, when we were talking about the aviation industry, he said that, you know, speaking to a lot of airline executives, he's finding out that most airlines want um, non-vaccinated people to be able to travel if they if they take a test or they can prove that they are, you know, they're not they're not carrying the virus. Um, are we at the point now where non-vaccinated travelers should be allowed to fly? You know, I think that's going to be a debate. Um, in the second half of the year, particularly if demand doesn't pick up uh, as we hope that it would. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've already seen Thailand kind of take steps towards that, haven't they? And they're now permitting non-fully vaccinated travellers in so long as they have a test. Um, Vietnam already allows non-vaccinated travellers in. But then you've got Philippines who've gone completely the opposite way and you can go get in without a test, but you have to be fully vaccinated and have a booster dose. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the second half of the year. 
Yeah. Well, particularly interesting when, you know, some of the airlines that fly into those countries um, have the rule that you can only fly if you're vaccinated. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, 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 this, it's this kind of dislocation, this kind of lack of integration that we've seen, uh, you know, over the past year, I guess, Hannah, is one of the things that's holding back travel right now because, you know, all the, all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle just don't align at the moment. Yep. So next one of our uh, wishes from January was a recognition of the value that backpacker tourism brings. I wouldn't say we're there yet, are we? No, I would say we're, we're not there yet. Although there, are, there is backpacking happening. If you, if you follow the backpacking Facebook sites and things like that, particularly in Thailand, obviously, um, which is the most popular destination for backpackers in terms of value and uh, the things that people can do. The backpacker infrastructure is very, very good there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not back to where it was before. And I think one of the, you know, the, the big hindrances on that is, as you said earlier, Hannah, it's the, it's the flight prices. They're, they're still very high. If you're coming in from Europe or North America or even from Australia, flight prices are very high. And that's obviously impacts backpackers' budgets. Yeah. And also, you know, the fact that a lot of the lower class hotels or hostels also struggled to stay open during the pandemic because they weren't really supported by the domestic market you know they were really squeezed in terms of prices if you've got five-star hotels selling themselves at four-star prices four-star hotels selling themselves at three-star prices and so on you know as a domestic traveler why would you really choose to stay in a a budget hotel when you could stay in one with with more amenities um, and so there's that whole sector of the market that has really, really struggled and that is still struggling now to reopen. Yeah. And also Australia, which is a dominion for backpackers and, and people on working, uh, travel working holidays. Simon Westaway, who, again, we've spoken to on the show a few times. Hi, Simon. Uh, he was commenting last week that, you know, there are a lot of jobs that are going undone in particularly in rural Australia that backpackers would normally do or working holiday travelers, simply because the demand for that kind of travel isn't there at the moment. And you know, these are some of the kinds of things that we tend to forget is that, you know, there are just so many different elements to, to the backpacker economy, not just the tourism economy. Uh, and for Australia, you know, the value of actually having people working on short contracts or, or doing, um, you know, short, short-term work while they're traveling to save some money so they can travel for a bit longer. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really important part of the Australian tourism economy. And, you know, at the moment that, uh, that, that's missing. And, you know, we, we hope that comes back. Again, we would have to add the caveat, it is winter in in Australia at the moment, and you know, maybe demand will build uh, t- towards the end of the year. It starts to get a bit warmer. Mm, yeah. So another one of our wishes. Let's see if we got it right or if it's come true. More vaccine equality. And to be honest, you know, I I would say that the the conversation, at least in Southeast Asia now, has really moved away from um, access to vaccines, hasn't it? It has. Although I have a fear that it's coming back. I was reading uh, a. a post on LinkedIn. I don't remember who it was from a few days ago. And this was from, uh, I can't remember if it was the UK. And it was talking about the issue of vaccines waning. And Singapore has been talking about this this week. Um, You know, vaccine waning um, means that people are more susceptible to to catching the virus again. And Singapore is worried that there could be another wave as early as next month or even August. Um, And I guess most countries in our region will will have that. I mean, you know, in, in Malaysia, we were very lucky here. I mean, there was such a slow start to the vaccine rollout, but once it got going, it, it moved very, very quickly. So it meant that most of us got vaccinated pretty early. But as we now know, um, not being scientists, but from the scientific community, the immunity that it gives you once you're, you're fully vaccinated um, tends to wane between six and 12 months. And you know, I guess we're coming up to a point now where, where decisions will be made, not just about whether to offer 
a fourth vaccine. I mean, that is being offered to older cohorts at the moment, but to everybody and, and how that would be priced and paid for. It seems difficult for countries to be able to keep affording to provide free vaccines, particularly those with larger populations. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and another thing that we're seeing when it comes to vaccine doses is also just wastage, isn't it? Um, I think millions of doses in Indonesia are having to be thrown away. I think um, some in the Philippines as well. And it, it uh, and this is, you know, this is not a Southeast Asian problem by any means. You know, this this is worldwide. Millions and millions of vaccine doses have been wasted. And it just comes down to that point that we were saying, you know, it's, that the you know, some, some countries are still struggling to even reach that fully vaccinated point in the world. And other countries are throwing it away. It's just uh, unfair. I think we kind of got it right. But also, I do think this is an issue that will certainly come back into focus. Um, in, in two or three months' time, particularly towards the, the final quarter of the year. That, that's my, my uh, estimation. Yeah. So one that I think we did get right in terms of our, our, our travel wishes, um, removal of the requirement to book through approved tour agents only. And we've pretty much seen that happen now. Um, I can't think, I'm, I'm trying to think through our Southeast Asian countries. But right now, I don't think any of those countries have this requirement that you have to book via a certain tour agent or book certain transfers. It's pretty much a, a free market, I think. I would agree. I think this, looking back, it seems, it seems a very dated process now, doesn't it? But it, I think it was an interim measure in some countries, particularly when they were trying to limit the numbers of people that were coming into the country. It's something we're seeing in Japan right now, isn't it? You know, the, the booking requirements there are very, very strict, very, very controlled in terms of who you can travel with and the, the itineraries that you're actually able to, to manage in the initial phase of, of Japan's reopening for international travel. But I would agree with you in our region that that seems to have dissipated now. And, and that's great because that means that uh, travelers have got more choice and they can decide for themselves who they want to book through and what they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of linked to that in, in a way, as you know, if you're able to book through whoever you want and that stimulates the whole value chain rather than just the selected few is our wish that domestic tourism stimulus packages are thought out to assist players in that whole value chain as well now i don't think we have really seen this happen have we now you've been following this more closely than i have hannah but um no i don't think we have and and the the coverage of domestic tourism stimulus packages has has really sort of faded hasn't it i mean there, there are two or three countries where it's you get more coverage about it. But, you know, you do wonder whether some governments have just decided not to continue with them because they can't afford them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And, you know, a lot of them just see the international market as being a lot more worthwhile to pursue in terms of higher spend per tourist. If you look at Thailand, so they had the two um, domestic tourism stimulus schemes there. They had the We Travel Together and we had Tortiel Thai. So We Travel Together was essentially it's a 40% um, subsidy for domestic travelers on their hotel spend and on their flights, uh, whereas the Tortiel Thai was supporting travel agents and people buying tour packages. And what we've seen, you know, how these two played out is the We Travel Together has had a very high take up. It's had so high that they've actually renewed it now for its kind of probably what will be I guess it's final installment but the problem with that is that it doesn't benefit bus operators for example it doesn't benefit travel agents it's just for hotels 
and for airlines. Whereas the Tortiel Thai, which supports travel agents, had a very low take-up because there was a load of uh, hoops that both the travel agents had to jump through and I think also the consumers, and it just wasn't really very friendly at all. And, you know, there have been calls for this final round of of domestic tourism stimulus in Thailand to be to be rehashed, to, to, to re-look at it and and say, okay, well, let's let's allocate that money differently this time to try and support those members who haven't had um, revenue for the last couple of years and who are still not likely to, you know, for the next six months or so. But it does seem that they are intent on just pushing the same the same scheme through again, uh, which will benefit the same partners um, again. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. I guess one thing we should probably just briefly discuss, Hannah, discuss Hannah is is linked to this, and that's tourism pricing. Um, now, there's been a big issue in the last few days. A brilliant article by Stuart McDonald in Bali on Couchfish. We'll put a, a link up to that story about the pricing increase at Borobudur, the, the ruined temple site in Indonesia. And the interesting thing about that is the price for international tourists is, you know has gone through the roof. Uh, it's going to be a hundred dollars to visit. But the price for um, domestic travelers, Indonesian travelers, has also gone up a huge amount. It's, I can't remember what the exact figure was, but you know, you, you're pricing out not just international tourists, but you're actually potentially pricing out your own domestic tourists, which, which seems crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you would think, if anything, you would want to encourage your domestic tourists to visit, right? Because it's part of your national heritage and part of your culture, you know, the cultural heritage. Yeah, it, 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 it's super interesting. And then you look at other countries like Vietnam, who've gone completely the opposite way. And for a lot of their attractions throughout the country, they're offering, um, offering them heavily discounted to domestic tourists or free. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different, different approaches towards domestic tourism throughout the region. It would just be, again, interesting to see how this plays out over the next six months, given that domestic tourism, as we keep banging on about, is still going to be so valuable to the whole tourism economy. Yeah, absolutely. The Borobudur issue, I think, is just going to roll on. There was even a, an opinion in the Jakarta Post yesterday about this. So, uh, yeah, whether that actually comes to pass, whether that actually happens, we'll, we'll wait and see, but we'll, mm. we'll keep you updated on that. Um, so one of our other wishes, um, we put tourism industry to be seen as an attractive one again for fresh graduates. I don't think we're there that for that, are we, given that manpower shortages are such a critical issue for the industry right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, graduates are looking at just how badly the tourism industry has, well, the whole travel industry has been hit over the past two years. Where are going to be the opportunities? I'm sure they will emerge. But um, at, at the moment, you're probably right. In this region, we're probably not quite there yet. What happened in Thailand at the weekend with, with Thai Airways, with you know, people having to wait too long to check in, some missing their flights, I think because they're not enough check-in staff. You know, I think this, this is going to start to happen around the region probably later in the year um, because... As, as Shukor Yusuf said last week, you know, airports and airlines did shed staff um, and recruiting those staff back is both difficult because a lot of people have left the industry and won't come back. But also, we don't really know too much detail about what those rehiring terms are. Are they still the same terms that they were, that people were working on before? Have they lowered the, the salary options? You know, that kind of thing. I guess we'll have to wait and see that. I think Singapore Airlines has announced this week that it's, it's going on a big recruitment drive. The, the better managed airlines the better managed uh, hotel companies you know they will be recruiting over the next few months and you would hope that you know graduates will be looking at, at, at training uh, management training uh, schemes and that kind of thing whether they will be available i'm not too sure at the moment but yeah i mean i think 
you're probably hoping that you'll be graduating next year rather than this year if you're doing tourism studies because you know the industry will hopefully have recovered a little bit by then for sure yeah next on our travel wish list from january we had put all tourism businesses are required to set and publish zero emissions targets or updates i don't think that has happened yet has it <laughs> i don't think we ever thought it would happen but i think you know it, it's it's a wish list thing, isn't it? it? Sustainability is so important to this industry. There's so much talk. You know, every tourism conference, uh, every UNWTO gathering at the moment is talking about sustainability. Airlines are talking about sustainable jet fuel. You know, we look at some of these developments they're having, particularly in Vietnam, and they're horrific. You know, they really have environmental vandalism written all over them. So it's, it's difficult for tourism business. I think the the, the issue of sustainability is although we would like tourism businesses to be more transparent, more open and, and report more clearly what they are doing to actually not just to, pr- to protect the environment, but actually to, to regenerate environments, we would like that to happen. But it's an integrated thing. You know, governments have got to work together. Consumers have got to work together. Tourism industry has got to work together. Retailers have got to work together. F&B outlets have got to work together. It's, it's everybody, you know, that anybody that is linked to travel has to buy into this idea of, uh, of protecting the planet. And yeah, in a time when everybody is just trying to build back revenues, um, yeah, maybe we were a bit hopeful with that. <laughs> yeah, but it's good to hope. This, this is a one I think we have to keep hoping for. I think it's on the agenda. It's just how it happens and whether that integration actually works. Yeah, and I think you know the the concern right now is a lot of greenwashing, um, and to really be, I think we have to be very astute as as readers and consumers of travel to to know when. When governments or or private companies are, are simply greenwashing their initiatives or if they are serious about sustainability. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do think that consumers generally have become more aware of, of how they can distinguish between greenwashing and what's actually trying to happen. I think they're more demanding, particularly from consumer brands, about what they want and what they expect and how they expect brands to demonstrate you know, their, their green and their sustainable credentials. Um, but it's a little bit more difficult in the tourism industry because you know it's quite difficult sometimes to actually pinpoint how some of these things can actually change. You know, you look at if you walk into a hotel, for example, you look at the amount of lighting, you look at the amount of air conditioning. Um, you know, and those those aren't eco-friendly in any way, even if you have low wattage uh, lighting and that kind of thing, it still uses up a lot of electricity. So there's a lot of work to do, I guess. Absolutely. And so our our last one um, was: Can we bring the fun back? Is the fun back? You, you've been traveling. You've been traveling internationally. I've only gone domestically. Was there fun there yet, Gary? I would. It's a good point. It's a really good point. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm so glad that I traveled. It was brilliant to be back on the road again. It was great to be back in Europe. I really, really enjoyed it. I haven't traveled much in, well, I haven't traveled at all in Southeast Asia, except in Malaysia. I have traveled a little bit in Malaysia. It's great. I love traveling again. It, you know, the buzz is back. I still think there is a little bit of nervousness. There is still a little bit of concern about I guess because, you know, what we've been through and, and the way that Malaysia has managed this, you know, Malaysians are very, very careful. They still do socially distance at the airport. Everybody wears their mask on the plane, you know, so it, there is still that residual element that we we are still in a pandemic. We can't, we can't uh, get away from that. But once people are, are actually traveling again, once you get through the airport and the airline process, yeah, I think the fun is coming back, definitely. Good. Well, I should have my first international trip to Singapore, I think, coming up in July. So I will find out for myself. I can't wait. Yeah, go, go and have some fun in Singapore. <laughs> so 
That brings us to the end of our mid-year review of our 22 for 2022 travel wishlist show. As always, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts on comments on what we discussed for the travel wishlist or anything we missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yep, meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, theseasiatravelshow.com. And of course, you can listen to every single episode on all the various international podcast platforms. Again, just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show. And if you do tune in to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please give us a quick rating and a review, as that will help other people to find the show. So that's a wrap for today. And we'll both return next week to talk more travel and tourism in Southeast Asia. We look forward to talking to you then. Thank you.